Hi, dance friends. I'm Margaret Fuhrer, editor and producer of the Dance Edit newsletter and podcast. This holiday week, we have a special treat for you all. We are re-airing our interview with Susan Jaffe, a conversation that first aired over the summer as part of our old subscription-based series, The Dance Edit Extra. If you are a ballet person, Susan really needs no introduction. She was a star dancer at American Ballet Theater for more than two decades. Since retiring in 2002, she has held leadership positions at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, where she was Dean of Dance for several years, and most recently at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, where she served as Artistic Director for two years. Just a few weeks ago, at the beginning of December, Susan began a very high-profile new job. She became Artistic Director of ABT, succeeding longtime leader Kevin McKenzie. Since Susan is now officially implementing her forward-thinking vision at ABT, we thought this would be a good time to revisit our previous conversation with her. And as you'll hear, it is full of wisdom and insight and just good sense about what ballet needs to do and how it needs to change to thrive in the future. Here she is. Susan, welcome to the Dance Edit Extra. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to start by actually going back in time for a moment, because of course you had this remarkable performing career with ABT. So while you were dancing, did you have aspirations to directorship? Was being an artistic director something that you thought about? Not really. Not as I was dancing. Um, Every once in a while, somebody would come up to me and say, you know, you'd be a really good director one day. And I remember thinking, what an odd comment. <laughs> I don't know. It just, uh, I wasn't thinking along those lines and it never occurred to me that I would um, be a director. And so, no, I think once I retired, I thought maybe that could be a, a good thing, uh, something fun, something where you've, you're really giving back. Um but not until I retired did I think about that. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, after you retired from performance, then you, you stuck around at ABT for a while, teaching at JKO school, you're advisor to the chairman of the board, a director of repertoire. How does that longtime affiliation with this organization, how does it prepare you for this kind of leadership role at the company? And how does it not prepare you? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, of course, I've seen it from all ends, from the student side, company member, teacher, uh, someone on the administration, and then also coming back as a uh, rehearsal director. What is in the in my favor of having been there all that time is I understand the culture, I understand the the ballets, um, all the ballet, the, the big repertory that that ballet theater does. I've danced almost all of it. Um, not necessarily in the court of ballet, but as a principal and soloist. And um, I understand the schedule and, you know, the, the hectic kind of schedule that we have. Um, but also just the, the overall uh, culture and feeling of the company. And uh, so I think that really uh, is very helpful, you know, walking into it as the artistic director. Um, on the other hand, of course, I've never personally directed anything that large. Um, I was the, the dean of the university, um, dean of dance at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, 
where I had 14 faculty and I had 230 students. Um, but that wasn't anything uh, as large as a ballet company. When I, and just to say that that uh, job there really helped me to walk into this job here at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater and, and pretty much know what to do. I mean, it's all the same administrative duties. Actually, it's less administratively for me here. Um, there are more meetings, but there's less sort of physical work that you have to do on the admin side. Oh, that's interesting. So um, that really helped me to understand how to, how to be a direct, an artistic director. But going into ABT now, is it's more than twice the size of this company. Um, so that's something that's going to be brand new for me. And um, so, but I am working with Kevin once a week. We're, we're meeting every week so that I, he gives me all the background to what's going on and where are um, some of the points that are, that are working really well. What are some of the points that perhaps could improve. And, you know, so he's been incredibly helpful um, in working with me. Yeah. When you were, when you did leave the nest and you were at UNCSA and, and now at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, I don't mean to lump those two jobs together because as you said, they were very different, but how did they sort of change your perspective on the ballet world and the larger dance world more broadly? Mm-hmm. Um, going into UNCSA, where I was in charge of a ballet division and a contemporary division, and I was exposed to so many more contemporary choreographers that I had not been exposed to before, and also looking at their composition classes and how they, they there's a very choreography heavy at UNCSA, and so that really opened my eyes to a whole array of movements that I really developed a taste for. And so, um, and also, you know, what, what it really takes to train a student from, not from the bottom up, but it, we had 14 year olds, uh, 14 through college, and um, what kind of organization it needed and, and um, consistency and training and things like that. Um, so it, it really helped me, number one, understand consistency of training and number two, open my eyes to more modern and contemporary work. So when I came to Pittsburgh, I, um, I thought that the, the public would enjoy more modern and contemporary works, which I now have sort of seasons where I have a mixture of classical and very, very classical, you know, and then contempor some contemporary work, and then a season where there's just only contemporary works. And Last, it, we, we did it this past March, and I remember sort of biting my nails thinking, I wonder if people are going to like this because they're very used to tutus and, you know, family friendly and tutu ballets. And um, people loved it, absolutely loved it. And so, you know, because I think as an artist, you know, we're really here to, to bring the audiences uh, into a wider view of dance, right? It's we're the artists, we're and artists are teachers, and we're we're the ones exposing our audiences to to new things. And some sometimes it's very risky um, when we, for example, hire a new choreographer that maybe it doesn't work out, you know. Um, <clears throat> but of course, you have to continue to um, take risks and do things in order to to get the gold. And I, I, this reminds me of a quote that Balanchine said to 
Robbins, he said, the point is to create and every once in a while you make a good one, you know? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, um, I was very happy to discover that people really, really liked contemporary ballet here in Pittsburgh, where I thought it was just more conservative. Um, and we just did a, a few weeks ago, we did a performance where pretty much all of it was contemporary ballet. It was an open air in our open air series. And we did have some classical things, but everybody who, who um, came up to me afterwards said, oh, I just really love those contemporary pieces. So for me, that's where the juice is. Um, you wanna of course preserve the classics. Classics are amazing. Who, we couldn't live without Swan Lake and Giselle, you know, and Sleeping Beauty and, and things like that. But there's also room to expand. And that's where you have the, the new newer choreographers. And now luckily more diverse choreographers in the big ballet companies. So uh, I think it's a very exciting time for dance. It's a very exciting time for ballet. And um, I'm just happy to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm very grateful to, my exposure to that kind of work at UNCSA. Yeah, I know it's interesting. I feel like in in the ballet world in particular, there's a lot of anxiety about what audiences will be okay with. Like, are they, oh, I don't know. I don't know if they'll get this. And sometimes I think we just don't give people enough credit. Yes, I and I also believe in not just, um, just like saying here, here's a new piece, but to actually give people background mm-hmm. information on it and to get them to, see it more deeply. And of course, every time we see something more deeply, we have a much deeper appreciation of it. And so uh, I really want to do uh, probably podcasts uh, about each piece. Um, And I I have this sort of um, vision in my head or this image in my head of people in the audience sitting there before the um, curtain goes up and nobody's talking. They're on their headphones, listening (laughs) to the 10 minute snippet about what they're about to see in the background. Um, And, you know, with dramaturgs, with historians, with people who have done the work. So it's not just like, oh, this is a fun piece to see. No, like deep, a deep background about what these works and why they're so important and even new works, what what you want to see. So um, there are places uh, where we do need to be mindful and remake um, in some of the, the older ballets where they could be, it could have cultural misappropriation or it could have something that's offensive. And those things I think do need to be remade, uh, not remade, adjusted. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, <clears throat> and that's where, you know, you're, thinking about, okay, there's somebody sitting in the audience and I want to make sure that this work is, is seen and appreciated and not offending somebody. But again, education is, is such a big thing. Um, I just saw Alexei Rutmanski's new full length of love and rage. Mm-hmm. I saw it three times. I thought it was amazing. Um, and the synopsis, of course, was very helpful. And then I got to speak to the designer, the set designer, the costume designer. And, you know, at first glance, this, this ballet could be problematic um, as far as, you know, the woman, the, the heroine isn't treated very well. She's lusted mm-hmm. after by a lot of men. You know, it's a very historical, obviously, it's a was created in 400 BCE. 
So it was a novel. It was one of the first novels ever created. Um, but it was done, uh, the designer, Jean-Marc Puissant, worked with uh, curators and museums, worked with scholars, you know, and worked on this, I think, for like four years. And so the sets, the costumes were actually accurate. And um, they, of course, adjusted also the story so that it was something that could, that could be taken in without offending uh, people. And it ended up being a glorious ballet and got rave reviews. And so, you, you know, people can see things that aren't all roses and champagne, right? I mean, we need to be able to see who we are as, as humans. Um, and we're not all love and roses. We are, we've got a dark side to us as well. And, um, these stories are very, um, important and, and deep in us and show us who we are as well. So, um, I think it's important to be able to tell stories, um, but make sure that, um, you've done all the research and that, that, that also people have backgrounds on it. Um, so that it, it, it's taken in the right way, basically. Watching of Love and Rage, I remember thinking that too, that there are like 15 different levels on which you can engage with this work. And sometimes, yeah, it seems like part of the process in ballet is simply encouraging audiences to go a little deeper and guiding them along that path so that they can become better educated. Can you talk a little more about, like podcasts are, are an interesting idea. How else do you think a company can help audiences engage with its repertoire in an informed way? Well, there's, of course, there's a lot of stuff you can do on your website, you know, written material, um, podcasts. You can have um, actual lectures like we do the um, ABT at the Guggenheim, things like that. You can do that. Uh, I was also thinking that, for example, when we go on tour, that it would be wonderful to go into the universities and have our education department and even our studio company going in before we get there, a couple of weeks before, and work with them and, and do lecture series, you know, for not only the students, but for, for public as well. And so that people could get a, a deeper dive into what they're about to see. And um, so those are some of the ideas uh, that I'd like to, of course, I was thinking it'd be good to film. Um, and, but those of course are far more cumbersome. <laughs> You've got to find the filmmaker and the lighting and the, this and the, that, you know, I'm sure we'll do some of that. Um, but I do think the podcasts would, uh, it would just be an easy way to, um, to make sure that we're, we're actually able to do, uh, the educational part of our programming. Mm-hmm. I kind of got ahead of myself in my list of questions here. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Can you talk about, your path back to ABT, because there are definitely, there are a lot of people who wanted this job, but I think there are also some people who did not want this job. It is one of the most difficult jobs in ballet. What was that decision-making process like for you? Hmm. Um, you know, it depends upon how you look at it. You can look at it one way and say, yeah, it's very difficult to run a ballet company in today's world. <laughs> you know, uh, stage hands are becoming more expensive. Everything is more expensive and, um, and ticket revenues are not climbing 
in equal parts to the expense, you know, so there, there's that. Um, and there's also the, what's the word, the stressor of making sure you're bringing in repertory that is vital uh, for, for the public and giving them a, a wide array of, of things to see and um, just being responsible about that. So you can, you can say that that's all really hard and, and it is, <laughs> um, you know, when I retired, I, I felt so grateful for having the, the career that I had. And, you know, it's hard to feel grateful while you're in the middle of it and you're trying, you know, your hardest and everything. But when I, when I finally backed away from it, I, I, I felt so grateful. And my only response was to give back. Um, to give back to the art form. And, you know, initially I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do something completely different. And I'm going to, maybe I'm going to go into acting or I'm going to do something else. And ballet that kept, kept pulling me back, kept pulling me back into its world. And I didn't even think I wanted to teach. And then I was sort of uh, asked to teach and said uh, from the director of the new JKO school, uh, it was John Meehan. And he said, oh, come on, just, just try it. And I said, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. He said, come on, just try it. And if you don't like it in three months, you can quit. So I just did it because he said, okay, in three months I can quit. And I ended up loving it. And I ended up really feeling like I was good at it. And uh, then I found that I was good at coaching. And it was nothing that I said, oh, I want to be a coach. I want to be a teacher. It was just something that I was pulled back. I was pulled back to do that. And so my feeling about, ballet is that I am in service to ballet. And I was very fortunate to have worked with the amazing people that I got to work with. Um, you know, the Brezhnikovs, Kolpikovas, the Makarovas, the, the Twyla Tharps, the, you know, Yuri Killians, the, you know, and I got to dance all over the world and work with all of those people. And, and so I really feel that I have the education to, um, to be able to, to do this. And um, I certainly feel like I have the, the passion and, you know, it still makes me joyful to watch a ballet. And now as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more sentimental. Sometimes I'll just watch something as sweet as Napoli. I saw the children last week here do Napoli. And I, I got welled up, you know? And I, in, in those moments, I think to myself, I'm so lucky to be in a profession that brings joy and beauty to the world. And it is a privilege to be able to, 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 to do that. And so going into ABT, I recognize that <laughs> it's not all going to be sweetness and, and, and sunshine, you know, uh, but it never was not even as a dancer, you know, life isn't that way. Um, and we, we have to take, uh, our ups and our downs, uh, with equanimity and, and, uh, continue to move on, move forward in a way that, um, that is positive and, and life affirming. And so, I just feel very excited to be able to have the opportunity to do that. One of the things that ABT does that 
has been sort of at the root of, of the joy that it has spread in the world is storytelling. It's become sort of the home of the story ballet um, in the many different meanings of that term over time. But um, I'm especially interested in how you think about that legacy, about the company as the American home of the story ballet. How do you envision that form's place in ballet repertory today? And you've already started talking about this, but can you talk a little more about what types of stories and storytellers you're interested in? You mean as far as new repertory? I was thinking new, but I mean, let's let's talk about all of it because the legacy, there's a deep well to pull from there. Absolutely. And I do think there are some full-length ballets that uh, have been dance in Europe for years that we haven't been able to, to dance. And so I'd like to bring those as well. Um, and well, we're very fortunate because next year when I'm uh, at the helm, we're going to do Christopher Wilden's new ballet that was just premiered in London, like Water for Chocolate. And I'm very excited to, to be able to see these new ballets, like the Alexei Rutmansky's of Love and Rage. I mean, to me, to see a new work with, with the technique of today, which is mind boggling. Honestly, I look at the dancers today and I think I could never have done that. You know, technique just gets better and better and better and better. Um, and that ballet of Love and Rage is so difficult. It's so hard, so hard. Oh, particularly, I mean, for everybody, but particularly like for the court of ballet men, I've never seen anything as difficult. And they were just flying. The men were just flying at ABT. And um, so to me, that's very exciting because uh, it, it increases our technique, you know, because the more challenged we are, the better we get. And, and new ballets, new stories. And I, um, I will be looking out there for stories from all kinds of people. Um, and you know, if I think that it's the right thing for the company, I will certainly uh, want to commission those things. And I also want to bring, you know, more female choreographers as well doing full length. When we have, um, I know uh, Jane Eyre was performed by ABT. It was Kathleen Marston's piece. And there are other women out there as well who are telling full length story ballets. And I would also like to bring them into the mix as well as diverse choreographers and diverse stories. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's gonna be a slow process because you can't, you can't make huge sweeping changes all at once. And you've gotta be very mindful and very methodical about how to get these new works into the repertory. So I have to remind myself to be patient, um, but I, I will keep plotting to make sure that new works are are created at ballet theater. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you mentioned already in this interview that there are some classic ballets that, that have been criticized for culture and sensitivity that you might like to update. I mean, top of list, what do you think needs editing? And then also, why is it important to update these works rather than discarding them? Yeah, I think it is important to uh, not discard, um, to say suddenly say, I don't want to look at a, at a work because I'm now offended by it. I'm looking at a ballet like um, La Bayadere. And um, I, you know, I have certainly have read the um, written material from Rajan Zed at the Hindu, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's called the Hindu Institute or something like that. 
And he talks about it's an orientalist mishmash, uh, you know, costuming and things. And um, I would really like to work with scholars, curators, designers um, to, first of all, um, make sure that, you know, and, and, you know, this is still in its nascent stages. So let's just say, I'm just saying, thinking about what, how this could go, that it could still be a story from India, for example, Love, Love and Rage is a, a Greek, a Grecian story. So, um, but that it is through the eyes and stories of the Indian culture and, uh, and Hindu culture as well. Um, and that costumes need to be accurate and anything that it has like a religious connotation um, needs to be um, adjusted and changed and things like that. So I, I would really like to save that ballet. I think the second act is just genius. Um, when I was a uh, principal at ABT and I wasn't on that night, I and Bayadere was um, being performed, I would run, not walk, I would run to see that second act. And um, I do think it needs to be preserved. I don't, I don't see that we should throw the whole thing uh, in the trash. Um, Corsair is more problematic because uh, the entire thing is about enslaved women being bought. And I think that perhaps, and I don't know that, that uh, some of the choreography could be saved, but that the story uh, needs a lot more adjustment. So I don't know how that's, that's going to work. Um, I, I, I'm not going to focus on that first. Maybe I, maybe I will, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see how, how all that goes. Um, and then of course, ballets like the Nutcracker, uh, will need to be make, make sure that there is no, uh, cultural appropriation. And also, um, so I look at something like the Nutcracker and, I think, well, part of that story was that they went around the world, right, to find the Krakatut. And that's why those cultural dances are in the second act. That's why they're there. Um, do you discard it completely? Uh, or do you work with scholars to do that? Or do you, um, you know, do you decide, okay, we're in the land of the sweets and we're not in any particular culture where we're making up cultures, just like um, Cirque du Soleil, you know, they, they, you know, they've their own culture in there. Right. So uh, I, I haven't decided how all that's going, you know, I'll be, I'll be working with people and talking and, and seeing how, how it needs to be adjusted um, or not, you know, and also it could just be education. You know, once again, um, there are so many stories, books, movies, plays, that could be problematic, you know, but do we just burn everything and say, Oh, we're not that anymore. And we're, we're not, we don't, we're not going to look at that. Um, or do we embrace our, uh, imperfections, uh, as humanity and, and look at these stories as, as, um, not only historical things, but teaching us something about who we were and where we are today and all of those things. So, I don't believe in canceling things out. I believe in, in moving forward with them. Yeah, and in addressing those imperfections, there are all these opportunities for creativity too, the way that, that those are then sort of reworked for a, a 21st century audience. It could be really, really interesting things that come out of that. Um, so another way that I think a lot of people 
conceive of ABT is as the dancer company. Like I, I, a teacher of mine who I will not name for her protection, <laughs> I think once said that you go to City Ballet for the repertory and you go to ABT for the dancers. How do you feel about that legacy? I also go to City Ballet to see the dancers. <laughs> Just to say, you know, um, and I love the repertory and I love their dancers. They're amazing. Uh, New York City Ballet. So um, unfortunately, I don't agree with your teacher. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do think that there are amazing dancers in ABT. And it's fun to see them. And you see this at City Ballet as well. You see them in the core and then you see them in a soloist role. And then you see them, you know, I think um, when somebody is doing a principal role and they're telling a story, um, you feel so close to that dancer, right? Because you're really seeing them, their soul, you know, interpreting these roles. So in a way, I guess that's what maybe your teacher was saying that you go to see the dancers because you're really seeing them at trying at working with character and interpreting and things like that. But I do think there are great dancers in both companies. Um, how would you describe an ABT dancer? Like what qualities are sort of quintessentially ABT if there is such a thing? And, and what things do you in particular value in a, in a dance artist? Mm. I think uh, ballet theater dancers are extremely versatile. Um, and they have to go from, you know, something extremely contemporary and, you know, really off balance and fast and wild and, you know, to uh, interpreting a role in Romeo and Juliet. So um, I personally felt that it was very hard to develop technique and artistry, um, you have to focus on both of them because of course, an empty performance, nobody wants to see, you know, you don't want to see somebody sort of play acting Juliet, for example, you really want to see the story. So, and that takes a lot of work. Um, it's not just uh, a surface thing where you're in the studio and somebody says, well, you're in love with Romeo. And so you suddenly know how to be in love, right? So you, you have to do all the background story, the dramaturgical background story to really understand these roles as, um, as a deep part of our humanity and, then, and therefore be able to, to portray them uh, in a way. So like, for example, I did a lot of work with a dramaturg and Here's an example. I when I did Lizzie Borden, which was Agnes DeMille's ballet Fall River Legend, I studied the trials. I studied the trial. I studied um, the culture of that time, and so to really try to understand why, what would make somebody living in New England, young girl, kill her parents with an axe? You know, so it's it's. It's, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of research to be able to, to do all that. And I think the ballet theater dancers do that. Most of them, they do that. So they, they really have the extreme, the most wide array uh, of repertory. And so that to me is a ballet theater dancer. Um, and of course the technique absolutely has to be top, top quality. Um, and you know, I've been watching them rehearse and they're all, they're on fire. You know, these dancers are on fire. Um, and it's just so fun to, to be in a room and to see that much energy and that much desire to, to grow and get better and improve and, 
accomplish. So um, yeah, that's a ballet theater dancer. So I'm going to zoom out a little bit because you are, of course, a part of this new wave of women who are coming into artistic directorships in ballet. Got just this past year, Hope Muir at National Ballet of Canada and Tamar Rojo at SFB and Jody Gates at Cincinnati Ballet, and you're joining Wendy at City Ballet and Lourdes at Miami. It feels significant. It feels like a real shift. Um, from your perspective, how do you think these new female voices in leadership will change ballet or how are they already changing ballet? Well, I mean, I do think the culture is so different now than it was when I was a dancer. I think women are innately just more nurturing, uh, perhaps. And, and that's, you know, I say that, but I also think, for example, Kevin McKenzie is very nurturing as a male. Um, and, you know, I think women in general are sort of culturally more used to sort of taking care, taking care of everybody. And it, it's a little bit different than uh, how a, a male, and I'm, that's not to say that women aren't demanding, you know, women, like I love, the way I like to coach is I love to love my dancers into working hard, you know, and, and I want to help them to love to work hard so that they see the fruits of their labor. But, but it is sort of cultural that women are more nurturing and take better care maybe of the internal um, side of the dancer. But, you know, I, I have to say that I'm on this um, coalition called the Artistic Directors Coalition. And there are a lot of male uh, artistic directors in there right now. And, and everybody is really taking a very deep dive into the health, the mental health of their dancers, because that's really prevalent these days um, is the mental health. And also um, discussions on inclusion, you know, and everybody is really mindful uh, and wanting to make sure that their companies are inclusive and, and a safe place to be. Um, so I guess people want, you know, also can see that women are good leaders. You know, I think before women were not seen as, as leaders or not seen as strong leaders, you know, seen as demure and soft and, uh, taking things in instead of being the one to, to bring things out. And they're seeing more and more that women can do that. And I am one of those. Um, I think being a Dean really, uh, trained me how to do that. And, and you see all those women, they're all very strong. Tamara, Hope, um, uh, Jody, uh, Wendy, uh, Lourdes. So, you know, they're great leaders. So I, I just feel very fortunate to be able to be a part of that, um, that new uh, wave of female artistic directors. So I'll end with a huge two-part question. So first part, what about today's ballet landscape worries you? And then second part, what about it makes you most hopeful for the future of the art form? Well, I do think that there are areas that ballet has to take a good hard look at. And I think that there are areas that, um, that are, are just scrutinized too harshly. Like for example, um, just because an art form was created in a white European culture doesn't mean that all of it excludes people. Um, and I think it's, it has 
there's just been a lot of discussion around that. Um, and I don't think ballet should be called, uh, should be canceled. Um, and I do think there's been a lot of strong voices that have um, not been favorable to ballet. And I, I, I disagree. I do think there needs to be adjustments. And obviously, for example, absolutely uh, more inclusive, bringing in more diverse dancers is absolutely important. I think it's already started that trend. It started with PNB's um, engagement programs, ABT's Project Plie. These, these programs have been going on a long time. Um, and as a result of that, we are seeing more diverse dancers. Does, does there need to be more? Absolutely. Um, and so I think it's going in a, in a good direction, bringing in more diversity. Uh, I don't think it should be criticized so harshly because I do think that Ballet World has, um, has already taken steps before the last few years. Um, but I do think they, it needs to continue. So that's one thing that I think is um, difficult uh, for the ballet world today. What's exciting about the ballet world today is part of the same, there's more diversity um, and also in, in choreographic voices, um, which is really fun. And the, the, just the new choreography, as I said, we've been talking about the Rotmanskis and the Wildens and, um, some of the new voices coming in uh, with with story storytelling, I think, is um, is really really exciting. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's certainly um, there's a a lot of um, yin and yang going on uh, in the ballet world, and you know, it just needs to be um, taken steps that are that are mindful, you know, as we move forward. So, I do think ballet should live on. I think it's an important art form. That seems like a good note to end on. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for making the time because I know your schedule is bananas. So I appreciate it. Um, and I know I'm, I'm not alone and feeling really, really eager to see how ABT evolves under your leadership. So great big so merit for all of it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Susan, and thanks to all of you for listening to this special rebroadcast. We'll be back next week with another episode, an all-new episode, to kick off 2023. Happy New Year, everyone!